My name is Minna Rihimäki. I'm a skier, a climber, a mountain biker, a paraclide pilot, a dental surgeon, a mom, and a Norona ambassador. Welcome to Norona Podcast. My name is Ivan Eitzlot. In Norona Podcast, we want to inspire you and facilitate great adventures in nature by meeting exciting people and telling fascinating stories. In this episode, we will meet Minna Rihimaki from Finland. She's a dental surgeon, a skier, a climber and a mountain biker living in Chamonix in France. In 2016, Minna ended up in a very serious skiing accident. Today, we meet her in Chamonix to hear more about the day of the accident and how Minna has managed to fight her way back to where she is today, skiing, mountain biking, climbing and even flying her paraglider. Minna is now perhaps more active and even more enthusiastic than ever before. Welcome to Norna Podcast, Minna. Thank you. Thank and, you for having uh, me. Uh, today we're going to talk about something dramatic, something that happened back in 2016 when you had an accident on skis. But before we go to that history, I would like to hear a little bit more about your skiing here in Chamonix, because I've seen and heard and read that you have skied a lot of steep lines here. Yeah, How did you start doing that? Um, I think I just have this attraction and passion for for uh, for big mountains mm -hmm. and uh, going up and uh, coming down. Mm -hmm. And I think it's always challenging uh, to achieve a nice ski line uh, in when it's in good conditions. Mm -hmm. And uh, the steepness is just an addi additional challenge to. Okay. To skiing. But when did you discover or when did you understand that you were a good skier? Better mm. than maybe the average skier out there? Um, I don't like to compare myself to anyone. <laughs> no. And I think, my, I think my skiing experience is just a lot of uh, practicing and okay. hours and hours of skiing mm -hmm. and progressing really gradually also in steep terrain into yeah into the mountain mm -hmm. uh, mountain and steep uh, skiing it takes a lot of uh, knowledge mm -hmm. general mountain knowledge mm -hmm. and then of course it takes also a lot of uh, endurance and mm -hmm. uh, you need to be really fit yeah uh, to be able to stay in control all the time so i think it's it's just a long way of uh, progressing into something mm. um, i started skiing uh, uh, just after learning to walk i think in in finland but of course uh, on a way flatter uh, uh, terrain mm -hmm. uh, i did a lot of a lot of cross-country skiing mm -hmm. alongside the alpine alpine skiing and uh, i i think i gained in endurance and in technique uh, little by little that's just uh, playing as a kid first yeah. Yeah. and then visiting a little bit the racing competing world um, and then I 
orientated more to the wilderness and the mountain mm. mountain skiing. And when did you start skiing here in Chamonix? Well, I arrived to Chamonix, I think first times I came to Chamonix it was 95. Mm -hmm. And then I've been living here permanently since 97, so that's 25 years. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, lot of skiing days. <laughs> a lot of skiing. <laughs> but I've heard that you have like a first female descent here in Chamonix. Yeah, very famous uh, descent. Well, actually, actually, it's a very famous alpine route mm -hmm. to climb up. It's the, the Frendo Spur. But you chose um, to ski it up. But uh, yeah, I've never climbed it up actually. I've only skied it down. <laughs> That's the irony of it. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very few people have, have skied it down. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and yeah, I, I, I'm, so, I'm the first female to, to do it. And mm. actually, I didn't know it when we, when we did it. I learned it afterwards. Okay. And I can, well, I'm only very proud of it, of course. Um, when was this? But that happened in 2013, mm -hmm. May 2013. Um, it was a really good skiing spring. The conditions were good. There was a lot of snow and the snow was uh, sticking into the steep lines. Yeah. And um, so we had been, we were a group of friends and we had been checking out lines and we were skiing a lot on the north face of uh, Aigu de Midi okay. that year because to do that kind of uh, ski descents you need to be trained and you need to be mentally uh, prepared and uh, and strong mm -hmm. um, and we were really looking for uh, that that line but we were never really decided if it will happen and when we will go and that day we were five, a group of five friends, so that was uh, yeah four friends, four four male friends mm -hmm. of mine and me, in the group, and we went up uh, up to Aguilamidi, skied down the ridge, because the conditions when the conditions are good we don't walk down the ridge but we ski down the ridge on yeah. the north face, yeah. and then at the bottom of the ridge we were just looking at each other and we knew that it was the moment. Okay. To to ski that line. This and, is the day. Uh, this is the day, and it was the day. It was uh, it was perfect. Mm. And you were not scared. You can't really be scared. If you're scared, it means that you're not in the right place at the right time. Mm. Um, I think you should always be just the step before mm. being scared. Of course, you, it's it's good to be have have the mental awareness. Mm. Um, because works. you are in, yeah, because you are in a dangerous place mm. and it protects you. But uh, being scared, yeah, that would be you. You would not be enjoying no. what you're doing. No. And uh, I, my main challenge in steep in steep skiing is always to choose a line that mm. is in good conditions mm. and that is fun to ski. Okay, that's the main rules that you have for yourself. Yes. Yeah. I don't use a tick list of uh, of lines to ski and go there, whatever. No. Uh, whatever. Yeah. You want the, it to be safe. I want and it fun. to. Yeah. I, I want to enjoy it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not worth it. Also, heard that you skied some really steep lines in the Dolomites in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. I have done. Uh, we. I've done. Uh, we've. I've done one first descent mm -hmm. on a on a very steep line, and that ends uh, by a rock face that you need to upsail down. Which gives, which puts a little bit more spice to the descent because <laughs> that's a way to put it. But, yeah. A little bit more spice. <laughs> For so me, it just sounds really scary. Um, 
Yeah, but there's a no fall it's a, zone. It's, it's a, yeah, yeah. Well, steep skiing is always a no fall zone, but mm. but that yeah adds the little thing that mm. it's even more yeah. no fall zone, and and we had to equip uh, equip upsails to to come down. Mm. And uh, and then I've spent a lot of time also skiing in, in Dolomites doing all, many other classic uh, steep skiing lines. Okay. And Dolomites is uh, very mythical. Uh, it's it's really beautiful and uh, mm. very motivating for for searching that kind of lines and, yeah. and skiing them. And it's very quiet. The Italians don't ski off piste that much, so it's. Uh, you can you can you have much more opportunities um, for skiing untracked yeah uh, couloirs and uh, yeah. yeah sounds beautiful yes but something happened when you were skiing in 2016 yes here in Chamonix mm -hmm. you must tell us what happened that day yeah so that was on uh, May 24 2016 on a very home terrain, mm -hmm. terrain that I know really well. Um, so that morning there was a lot of snow. It had snowed about between 50 and 60 centimeters of snow up high. And there was even more than 10 centimeters of snow down the valley. Okay. I remember shaking off, my, off, the, shaking off the flowers in my garden before going skiing yeah. because they were all covered, all covered and uh, and uh, and getting broken mm -hmm. by the heavy snow um, so I left home and uh, went to the Ecudemidi lift mm -hmm. but which didn't open in time because of the quantity of fresh snow they had to snow plow and clean the terraces up high um, and a lot of people gathered up queuing and waiting for the opening and I remember having a moment of hesitation, like I was starting to think that it was getting late. Yeah. The sun was uh, coming out and there were a lot of people and I was like, oh, maybe I should go do something else. And I actually looked at the Brevon direction to the south side. And I was looking at the mountain as I like, thinking like, but I can't go biking because there's too much snow. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll just wait, uh, wait a little bit more. And if they open soon, then it'll still be fine for skiing. Yeah. And that's what happened. They, uh, they opened uh, the lift and uh, I found myself in the first bin as, um, as often. Mm -hmm. And I was with a friend, but of course I knew any, every, almost everybody else there. Um, and uh, so we were kind of asking questions to people like, okay, where are you going? Where are you going? And there was like two, two options to, to ski uh, apart from doing the Valle Blanche. Um, so those options were skiing the Cosmic mm -hmm. Couloir or uh, the Glacier, okay. which is a little bit steeper mm -hmm. line. And uh, I was thinking rather to go to Glacier and uh, my friend was okay with that. And most of the people were taking the direction of uh, cosmic uh, couloir. So I thought, okay, that's, uh, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we had to open up the trail to, to get to the, to the face as there was a lot of snow. So, and we were with my friend, we were the first ones to go. And there were two other friends who catched us up. 
and uh, those two are really fast skiers mm -hmm. so so i had no trouble telling them that okay you you go first yeah. once we once we reached uh, reached the face and uh, so i let them ski first and then i was i was going being third it took us more time to get there because because of the of the snow so they they were actually already the next bin people from the next next bin that were catching us up oh. Because you had made the trail. Yeah, yeah, so we were slower. Mm -hmm. But once we were on the face and being ready to ski, you can't really see exactly what's going on behind because you kind of go behind a corner. Mm. And uh, I was concentrated on what I was going to do. And I, so I waited for the second one to get to a safe place on the face because then you turn left to exit couloir. Mm -hmm. And, and I started skiing and my friend was behind me. So for me, the next one to ski was my friend because it, it was his, yeah, his yeah. turn. And there was so much snow that, that for me it was obvious that everyone will ski one by one as long as at least the 10 or 15 first people because, because of the quantity of snow. And it, otherwise it mm. creates slough and it makes it dangerous for the others. Mm. So I started skiing and about one third down the face, the face is about, I'd say, 400 meters long. Mm -hmm. um, so I was skiing, I had done a couple of turns and I, I had told my friend that I might go a little bit right before taking the exit to the left because the snow quality didn't seem that good mm -hmm. on the left, skiing straight. And I had told him so that he would be prepared for me to do a little right, uh, like a bigger right turn before uh, going finally yeah. all the way to the left. And so before I started, wanted, wanted to go to the right, I, I glanced over my shoulder just by reflex mm -hmm. uh, to see behind me. And at that moment, I see a person skiing just above. Okay. About 50 meters higher in high speed and pushing off snow. And that was not Slough your friend? Avalanche, and it was not my friend, yeah. So he was just in a hurry? Exactly. Someone who's just jumped into the face, regardless the fact that I was uh, already in the middle skiing. Mm. Um, and he was skiing much faster than me and pushing a lot of snow because he was skiing where us three preceding mm. hadn't skied yet so okay. there was a big quantity of snow and I could so I could see his slough uh, coming down towards me and I was just like wow like that's big if that slough hits me uh, it will probably take me down mm. as a mini avalanche and so of course I didn't want that happen to me and so I turned fast back to the left mm -hmm. um, traversing my own slough that had catched me up so I had to keep up speed to traverse it. And that took me to the left side of the face, exactly where I didn't want to go in the first place. And uh, what happened is that my ski, tip of my ski hit an ice block okay. and it made me fall. And I started tumbling down. Mm. How steep is this place? It's, where you're uh, it's 50 degrees. Yeah. So it's really steep. steep. Yeah. Really so steep. once you pick up, some speed uh, out of control it's um, it's hard to stop 
So we were just tumbling and tumbling. So I was tumbling down and um, so I had my ice axe um, under, underneath um, on my backpack, mm -hmm. but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't reach it no. at, in, that, in that action. And I, I lost one ski, one ski that popped out and other one stayed uh, on my, um, attached to, to my ski boots. And uh, as I was tumbling down, I could, uh, I could feel my left leg mm. just rotating around itself. Oh. Uh, so I knew it was going to end up bad. But at the same time, I knew that I had to stop because, uh, because that face ends by a hanging ice rack. Mm. Uh, and if you jump that ice rack, then it's just a free fall of a couple of hundreds of meters. And that would be, and that would be death. Would be the end. the end of it. So uh, as I was tumbling down, I, I just kept repeating in my head that I need to find a way to stop, mm. stop this. And I was totally concentrated on that. And I, I felt, I, I remember, I, I felt like I wanted to hit my fingernails into the, into the snow yeah. instead of having an ice axe to try <laughs> to <laughs> try to slow myself down. And, desperate um, feeling. Yeah, yeah, quite, quite desperate, and it was so fast. Um, so and eventually, so th then there are two different bearish rooms, mm -hmm. two big like cracks in the um, in the ice. The first one is smaller, and the second one is way higher. And I know the place by heart, so I I could feel myself jumping over the first one, and picking up speed, and then. I jumped over the next uh, bearish round, mm -hmm. which is about seven, eight, eight meters high. Yeah. And eventually it kind of catapulted me in the air higher. And as the two first people had skied, their slough had accumulated underneath that bearish round and making a, like a soft uh, landing. Oh, like a soft pillow. Snow, like a pillow. Yeah. Uh, and I landed on that pillow so and, it, and it's a little it gets it, the terrain gets a little bit flatter yeah. just before the the serac and um i stopped on that on that snow pillow that's luck yeah yeah so i was very 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 lucky mm. to be there um i knew that my left leg and the, the knee and the tibia were destroyed mm. but i was yeah really happy to to be alive and be sitting there. And how did you go from that place to, um, to where we are now? <laughs> so, <laughs> so from Via that from that moment, yeah. So there were there were a lot of people. Um, one person skied down to me and helped me to call the rescue. Um, at the same time, other people kept on skiing the face, which mm. was quite incredible. Uh, despite the fact that there was a mountain guide at, at that point who had seen what happened. And uh, so he was standing at the top of the run. And, and he was trying to stop the people, yeah. Tell yeah. them that, okay, there's an accident, there's a, apparently a wounded person who doesn't move anymore. And so he was trying to tell people to turn around and not to ski. And people were just... Uh, they weren't listening. Stubborn, yeah, not listening, saying that, no, no, it's the Glacier Hong is so great, great conditions today that we really need to ski. So they just skied. So they just, they just went and they just kept on sending snow on me. Oh. And, uh, and uh, it was quite a um, terrifying uh, 
And you were afraid that terrifying maybe... minutes uh, to pass. Yeah, because I yeah I was afraid that a bigger avalanche will come and just uh, just wipe, uh, wipe off me the off the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Now that I was I was so happy to be stopped there, mm. but uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was very very nerve breaking, mm. and I was I was terrified mm. to be waiting there. And then the rescue number said that the the heli uh, is not in Chamonix. Okay. And uh, it will take about 40, 45 minutes for it to come. Mm -hmm. So, um, so those those were really long minutes um, to to wait. And people just skied past you. Yeah. Well, they they as, as I was lower than the exit couloir, so they they could just turn left and and ski away, mm. like if nothing had happened, if like if no one was mm. there. What kind of thoughts do you have regarding this? Uh, I think I, I can I can understand. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it, it's over my level of understanding or my mountain uh, behavior. Mm. It's it's a total lack of respect mm. for um, other people. And you think this uh, is due to some kind of uh, ski enthusiasm? Because there's too much good snow here, we just have to go for it. Is that kind of mentality? Uh, I think it's the very yeah bad mentality of uh, deciding to do something that day and wanting to realize, mm. just wanting to do what you have decided to do and mm. uh, whatever the price is. Regardless, what yeah, regardless anyone what's, is saying what's, about what's going on. Accidents. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So it's like yeah, we came to Chamonix, we want to ski the glacier and and uh, so we just do it. Mm. Which is uh, yeah that that's not that's not mountaineering or, no. or alpine just, attitude uh, for me. You were laying there and witnessing all this. So I was I was sitting there. I I um, I couldn't move, of course, because I I my left leg was just like a like a soft pack of there. Nothing was holding on, mm. so I I couldn't move and I didn't want to move mm. from there uh, to not to create any extra damage mm. as I knew that the helicopter will come so it was better to stay still. I inspected the rest of myself and luckily uh, my head was okay, my back was okay. I just had one dislocated finger that I put in place straight away. <laughs> Yourself? A, myself, yeah. Was the, my first thought was okay I'm a dental surgeon I need my fingers so let's take care of this little thing here. Um, so just put it so back? I, I just put it back. And I could move it, so I was really, I was happy for that. That demands some <laughs> kind of courage. Yeah, but I think just in the in the action, you have so much adrenaline mm. anyway. And uh, but uh, yeah, it was a reasonable thing to do because at least my my finger didn't didn't there was no additional damage to it, and mm. it's perfectly functional, and there was nothing to take care of. So that was done. Um, but then. By the moment the helicopter eventually came and uh, the rescue guy was winched down next to me. Luckily, I knew him, as I knew, <laughs> as I know a lot of people in Chamonix. So it happened to be a friend. Uh, so I was just like, okay. Uh, so uh, I gave him a little, uh, little uh, resume of the situation, and I was just like, like I can. I've been here for such a long time, and mm. I'm in such, in such pain. But I just want to get out of here, so just winch me off, and uh, and we'll deal with uh, with uh, medication and uh, and stuff like later once I'm in the heli. And luckily, he believed me. Okay. And um, and I got I got winched into the heli, and so the doctor st stayed inside. He didn't come down. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, so they, they pulled me in and uh, and I gave the team such a big smile <laughs> because I was so relieved to be in the heli that the doctor just, he, he was looking at me and he said like, ah, oh, oh, but it doesn't seem that serious that that was as it was described because you wouldn't be smiling like that, like that if your leg was destroyed. <laughs> I was just like, hmm, no, I think it's really serious, but I'm just so relieved and mm. happy to be out of that phase and please take me quick to the hospital <laughs> but yeah so that um, that was uh, the beginning of all the difficulties and complications and uh, you have had a lot of surgery yeah because of that knee accident yeah so um, all the the tibial plateau and the the half of the of the tibia was completely shattered okay. in in pieces in i don't know probably 30 40 little pieces mm. every all the ligaments were were completely torn apart with the meniscus and and the cartilage um so it was a a, a puzzle mm. um so finally so the accident happened in the morning and I think it was about six in the evening when I finally went to the surgery room because the surgeons were, uh, the surgeon from Salange was trying to take advice from Geneva, from Lyon, from Grenoble, mm. and, no, and no one really wanted to receive me okay. uh, because it was so serious and the hospitals actually didn't have the material to try to build up okay. the, um, the bone again. And as here, there's a lot of this kind of, not these serious accidents, but several similar, similar type mm. of fractures. Yeah, skiing the, accidents. Skiing accidents. So they have a lot of material in the Salange Hospital. So the surgeon said, like, okay, I guess I'm the only one who can try to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what he did. And so once in the surgery room and just before put to sleep, the surgeon was talking to me and he was just like, okay, I'll try my best but I don't promise anything, mm -hmm. I might have to amputate. He said that. He said that. And that's how I fell asleep. That, those were the last words that, oh. I, that I heard. So uh, about four and a half hours later, when I woke up, mm -hmm. uh, I was lying in the bed, on the bed, and I was just thinking like, okay, like remembering those words. And I didn't dare to move. Uh, I didn't dare to try if... Uh, if there was still something that I could move, mm. actually, so I had I took a long moment to gather up the courage and uh, and try if I can move my toes if I have toes uh, and, uh, and the left foot mm. that is still there and um, and yeah <laughs> it was still there. Yeah, <laughs> um, but then so that was uh, the first step of surgeries. Um, a few days after, we everyone thought that it was okay, I'm going to recover. But then a necrosis came okay. because actually there was no more blood irrigation. The damage was so big um, that there were no, yeah, no more blood irrigation on, on front of the tibia, mm -hmm. underneath the knee. It was way more complicated that, than the small hospital in Salange could handle. They are really good in just on on the bone reconstruction, but mm. everything above that, in my case, was beyond what they could handle. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, it was a weekend when everything started to go really bad and the main surgeon wasn't there. 
and I lost like 48 hours during during what septicemia settled in. Mm -hmm. My leg turned completely black. Oh. And um, at one point, uh, a friend of mine who's a plastic surgeon in Lyon uh, sent me a message saying like, oh, I heard you had an accident. How are you doing? Um, how is your recovery? And I was, uh, I answered him as like, well, actually, I'm really worried mm. because uh, things are not going in the right way anymore. And luckily, I had taken pictures or photos of my leg every day or every time they changed the bandages. Okay. So I had a big series of pictures, photos from the first day to now we were, it was about, I think it was like eight days after the accident. Mm -hmm. So I sent him the series of pictures and he was just like, Mina, but you are losing your leg. Like this is this is really serious, and he he said like okay I've already uh, sent you all the photos to a really famous and high level plastic surgeon in um, in the university hospital one of the university hospitals in Lyon, and he said like I think he will call you as soon as he has seen your your photos. Okay. And 15 minutes after my phone rang, so this big professor that I don't know. Um, called me saying that, yeah, we have already organized your trans transfer, you're coming to Lyon mm. as soon as possible, like ambulance will be there. And that's, uh, that saved my leg. Because so I got to Lyon and uh, went to a surgery room and same thing, I was put to sleep. <laughs> they, they told me that, okay, we'll do our best, uh, but if it's too serious, we'll have to amputate. Yeah. Um, but luck again that you uh, yeah. this plastic surgeon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes, yeah, good connections are what save mm. save you. Uh, because I could have died from the septicemia, or in the best case, I would have just lost my leg. Yeah. But anyway, it was just a question of few hours. Mm. And uh, so again, in Lyon, they could save my leg, and uh, and then from there, recovering completely. Um, by the end of 2018, I had I had had 13 surgeries. 13. 13. I've had I made I had two other septicemias, mm. so life-threatening situations again, uh, blood transfusions, and uh, finally they saved my leg by doing a big uh, skin graft okay. from my belly to Your the tibia, belly. yeah, to replace all the all the rotten skin that had been taken taken mm. out and that had yeah the, the necrosis had destroyed mm -hmm. and so i had this 10-hour surgery with arterial anastomosis and uh, with uh, six surgeons working oh. on both sides of my body and uh, yeah a lot of antibiotics mm. I think, I think for total i think for eight months i had five different antibiotics running into my veins Sounds like a really demanding yeah, so it was a period. tough, uh, yeah, a few tough years mm. to go through. Um, but between every surgery, I was always uh, fighting back and training as I could mm. uh, and trying to just trying to stick into small things in life and uh, always telling my th myself that I can. Uh, I will overcome this and I will recover. Um, I was told uh, by the first surgeon after the first surgery, um, he told me that uh, prepare yourself to a different life. You will never, you will never walk again properly. 
you will never be, you can forget about your athlete life. Mm. Um, um, but I think those words, some, I think, I always think that surgeons should not give any kind of prognostic, like straight away, saying things like that to people. But in my case, I think it was uh, fortunate that he told me that because it's, uh, it was so uh, over my level of acceptance mm. that my first reaction was uh, inside me was that, huh, you're telling me that today, but you will see in mm. a bit of time. I will, I will, uh, I will, I will, uh, I will recover. <laughs> I will walk again probably. I'm not going to walk with the stick the rest of my life. I, I can't. So he lighted uh, some kind of fire it, inside. It, it triggered, yeah. yeah, it triggered uh, the the energy and the rage for for recovering. Yeah, but you have a strong mentality, that's for sure. You have a tendency to look positive and optimistic on um, everything and the next stages in your thirteen surgeries as well. Yeah, I think I think life has learned me to 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 be mentally strong and I, I can only thank <laughs> life and different faces that I've had I've had before mm. um, and yeah I think my personality my personality personality is just uh, I am someone who is always willing to do the best and being motivated and determined. Mm and always trying to improve my the quality of life and learn new things. Uh, but I definitely had to be mentally strong to get through this, uh, this struggle and I can't wish anyone to <laughs> experience what I have no. been through. No. Um, but at the same time, every, every little step in the recovery period uh, was so re rewarding that it just pushed me always to try harder and uh, more and uh, uh, believe yeah. in the fact that I can actually recover. Well, I must admit that I didn't think that I would recover as well as I have and being almost back to normal. Mm -hmm. Because now you have a definition of your knee and bone almost back to normal. Um, so my bone is all recovered and solid. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't have any ligaments in my knee. Okay. So it's, it's... They are gone. They are gone. Yeah. They, are, they were totally ripped apart. We had a plan for replacing, having a, a replacement for the, for the lateral ligaments. Uh, but it was already, uh, again, a big uh, graft to do. Like mm. from a dead body would have been uh, the only option. Mm. Uh, so it's quite heavy surgery, heavy medication to take again, and heavy uh, rehab mm. after that. Um, but little by little, like, so I did four years of intense rehab. Rehab was my, my job. Yes. And after those four years, um, every time my surgeons were amazed when I went for a checkup in Lyon, and they couldn't believe what I was doing when I was showing photos of my training and uh, and uh, describing them what I'm doing, so they were every time they were just like this is this is just a pure miracle, mm -hmm. and so finally, the surgeon told me that it's like about seeing and knowing everything that you do, 
maybe it's not reasonable to start again with rehab and have this uh, heavy surgery replacing the ligaments no. because you have learned to live without them. Mm. So I was just like, yeah, I do, I do agree actually. Uh, and so we together we decided to 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 not to do anything anymore, and I just stay like this mm -hmm. as I am because I have learned to live with my knee. So that holds only with muscles and tendons and with my consciousness. And I have I've just yeah adapted yeah. my way of being and walking and yeah yeah, and uh, and it is quite amazing, like someone today who doesn't know that I've had a serious accident, you can't really see. No. I have a lack of flex that's uh, about the, and of course, physically, it doesn't look really nice, but, uh, but those are scars and, uh, mm. and the traces of uh, life. Yeah. <laughs> and now you are skiing at the same level as you did, and you have also skied down the same Descent. Yeah, I went back finally this year in May, so six years after the accident, I went back to Glacierhon for the for the first time. Mm. Um, How did that feel? Um, I actually had fun. You had fun. It was yeah yeah. The conditions were good. There was no one. Mm. I was just with my uh, with my boyfriend. Okay. Um, who is really who has been really important person in my in my recovery, in my rehab, because I always, what I tell him, he, he believes more in me than sometimes I believe in myself. <laughs> that's a good thing. And, and it makes me feel really that's a good safe. Yeah, that's what I always think. Like, okay, if he thinks that I can do it, then I can do it. Mm. So, uh, so we went back uh, together and uh, yeah, the conditions were good. It wasn't, wasn't powder, it was spring, spring snow, um, but I felt good and safe and I could make turns and enjoy it so mm. so so it, it was yeah it was great I had been waiting um, for the moment I knew that I had to go back and I wanted to go back uh, but I was just waiting for the right moment yeah. right day and right conditions um, to go there but um, uh, for my ski level I think I think the skiing is still the the activity where I'm most uh, invalid, if we can say that, mm -hmm. uh, compared to how I was before, uh, because of course I need to uh, keep like a security margin. I can't ski as fast as I uh, used to ski, but I don't need to because no. I'm not competing. Uh, so I can I can allow myself to slow down a little bit, but I need to keep a security margin, if, especially when the conditions are hard yeah. or a little bit sketchy or technical. Um, I know that I can recover mm -hmm. if something, if I lose my uh, my balance or something, my yeah. recovery level is is uh, is not as good as it used to be. But uh, but still, I can ski. I think uh, in anywhere as I used to ski yeah. before, and I don't have to. I don't have um, uh, like psychological or mental. Uh, problems regards uh, steep skiing um, since the after the accident so that's uh, that's, uh, that's, that, really that's, that's that's great yeah and you have even learned a new hobby I understand yeah after the accident you started paragliding yeah exactly and exactly. now I've seen that you summited Mont Blanc mm -hmm. and you just took off yeah from the top of the yeah. mountain yeah with your paraglide yeah and just 
flew down to the valley again. Yeah, exactly. But I think paragliding is great for any people who has a knee problem. It's, <laughs> it's perfectly adapted. And that's, that's your exactly, best advice. That's exactly why I started paragliding. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, there's a story also behind the paragliding. It was a challenge. And uh, because so I was told that I would never walk again properly. But as after, um, after three years, uh, yeah, that was 2019, uh, I was walking, I started to learn to do little jumps. Mm -hmm. uh, it was completely unthinkable for me to run, like I had completely forgotten how to do a step of yeah. running and my brain had was just refusing. Um, so I t told myself that, no, I need to learn to run, I can learn to run. Um, and then actually I, I, I was discussing with a good, with a good friend of mine uh, and she's a paragliding teacher. So she was also uh, playing a part in saying that, huh, well, if you learn to run, why don't, why don't you come for a tandem flight with me or something uh, just to change your ideas? Yeah. And I was just like, huh, yeah, why not? But why I could also learn to fly myself, mm -hmm. be, uh, be a pilot. Um, and that gave me the extra motivation to, to start training. So I started training running like beginning of June, June, July, August, uh, just by re really small steps, meter by meter. And uh, by the end of August, I could run from the house up to Plumpra doing the, the vertical kilometer, yeah. uh, running all the way. And so I called my friend again. I was like, okay, it's time for me to sign in for a paragliding course. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. And, uh, and that's what I did. So mm. at the beginning of September, I did a paragliding course. So that would be three years. Uh, uh, yeah, this September. And uh, I really got into it. And I really saw the advantage of, uh, <laughs> advantage of uh, being able to fly down the mountain instead of... Uh, walking mm. when uh, when the conditions are good and and combining paragliding with all the um, all the alpine activities mm. it's just uh, just an awesome addition to uh, to any any activity like in springtime skiing uh, up high on the mountain and when then and on the on the valley bottom or the last 1000 meters there's no more snow so instead of walking down with your ski boots with your skis on your back you just take off just at the at the snow level and you can land on grass with yeah. the, with the skis without any problem <laughs> and uh, and for alpinism like like for going up up uh, to mont blanc um it's also a safety factor because the the walking down coming uh, coming down is always uh, is often uh, dangerous it in is, the mountains it because it's it's late in the day and you get tired and uh, so if you can take off like like from the <laughs> summit of Mont Blanc in 40 minutes you land uh, next to the house and uh, and you do something else and you're not tired that's a great so, advice <laughs> but of course I mean it takes a lot of training like everything yeah. all the mountain activities and it's also very dependent on the weather and wind yeah. conditions so it doesn't work all the time so you also have to be prepared to um, to walk down mm. if it doesn't like act actually last september so i went to mont blanc three times okay uh and two times i could fly down okay. and once i had to walk, make the decision of it's, <laughs> it's not going to work but that time i wasn't alone so that was fine 
when you have a partner to walk. But I don't think if I, if I take a paragliding course this year, I don't think I will take off from Mont Blanc in three years. It depends. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. But of course, yeah, Just it takes a, a it takes a it takes investment. Yeah, a lot of uh, practice and I think it takes your mentality. Invent yeah, it takes a little bit of determination mm. and motivation. But it's great learn like learning new things. There's nothing better in life, and it's super motivating yeah, and uh, keeps you keeps you on the on the right track. Mm. Thanks for sharing your story with us. You're welcome. If uh, if it can help people, and uh, if anyone in a similar situation uh, want to chat more about it, I'm uh, available. Thanks so much, Mina. Thank you. Hope to see you soon again. Yes. Norana Podcast is published by the Norwegian outdoor company Norana Sport. Norana has been producing premium outdoor products since 1929. Check out our clothes, backpacks, tents, sleeping bags and skis on our website norana.com. There you will also find more inspiring stories about our rich history, the expeditions we have participated in, our ambassadors and our ambitions in sustainability. Thank you for listening to Norona Podcast. We really appreciate it. And welcome to nature. <laughs>